translation, so it's different than what you're reading. It'll be on the screen. It says, in the days when judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. When they had reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other woman named Ruth. Then, but about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return uh, to her homeland. With her two daughter-in-laws, she set out to the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. <laughs> no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home. For I am too old to marry again, and even if it were possible, and I would get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry anyone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far, bitter, far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Luke, or look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and I will be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. The book of Ruth is a short little book, but it teaches us so much about life and so much about God. And over the next few weeks as we read this, there's no doubt you're going to see something about God. You're going to see that God is faithful to his people. That it doesn't matter what they're going through. It could be the worst tragedy, and yet God has a plan for Ruth and Naomi. And God's got a plan for you. No matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, what may seem like the very end could actually be the very beginning of something beautiful. That's what God promises us in his word. And God's promises are true now and always. And we also learn that God will bring the right people at the right time into your life. 
You're going to see that in the book of Ruth. And, and when you commit yourself, this is the most important, when you commit yourself to God and his people, God will bless you. When you commit yourself to God and you commit yourself to his people, he will bless you. I, I love those, those words that, that Ruth says to Naomi. In fact, a lot of times in wedding ceremonies, they actually use that verse. And even though it's a, a, a daughter-in-law speaking to a mother-in-law, it, it could be a, a wife and husband saying these words and a vow to each other, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die and be buried. Those are powerful words of covenant and commitment. And we see that when we commit ourselves to God and commit ourselves to God's people, God blesses us. And we have to see this in love and we have to make that decision to love and we have to make that commitment and that vow. And it's important that you do it to God and his people because whatever you commit yourself to, that's gonna shape you. That's who you're gonna become. Whoever you commit yourself to, that's gonna become your character. And so we see this in, in the book of Ruth that she committed herself to God, that she committed herself to God's people and something beautiful happens. We also see in the book of Ruth that God will sustain you throughout your entire life. God is with you from the beginning to the end. And there's a little verse at the end of Ruth. It's in Ruth chapter 4, verse 15. It'll be on the screen. And I love this verse. You can hold on to it today. It says, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Isn't that beautiful? Man, hold on to that, that, that he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Age. I want to tell you, God is faithful, and his promises last a lifetime. They actually last for eternity. And so we find God's word, we, we hold on to, we commit ourselves to God, we commit ourselves to God's people, and God is then blessing us, watching out for us from the beginning to the very end. That's who God is, and we'll see that as we read through the book of Ruth. But something that, that we want to, to do today, and, and we've committed ourselves to do that this year, and, and, and we need to hear more testimonies of God working in people's lives. And just a, a couple months ago in September, Joe, who's here today, welcome Joe, glad to see you, Joe shared his testimony uh, from his life and how God turned him around, and he, he's about to graduate from Teen Challenge and what God did in him. And if you miss Joe's testimony, you've got to listen to it. It's online for free. Just go back to September and listen to it. But, but we want to hear testimonies of God's power. In January, we're so excited that Don Piper will be back with us in January, who wrote 90 Minutes of Heaven. He died in a car crash, and God raised him from the dead. And what's really good about Don coming this time for the first time, he's bringing his wife with him. And if you know his story, he always says, my wife is the hero of the story. And it's going to be so good to have Eva with us, and she's going to share as well. So Don and Eva Piper will be here in January to share their testimony, because we need to hear testimonies. We need to hear of God's power at work in life. And so I want to share another testimony with you today. And so I'm going to invite Jim and Sharon Bangard uh, to join me up here. So come on up. And uh, God... has done a miracle. Jim's bringing the Kleenex with them, so you may need to get some Kleenex, I don't know. But Jim and Sharon, they really are um, family because uh, even though they live in Pocahontas, Iowa, 
And that's a real town, Pocahontas, Iowa. How many people in Pocahontas? Under a thousand. Under a thousand in Pocahontas, Iowa. Uh, they're a part of our family. They're actually uh, from the church that, that Jared was from when he came to Bible school. And, and, and we've been blessed. Uh, they've, they've shared all of their daughters with us here at the college and the church, beginning with Sarah, who couldn't be here this morning. Her and her family were here last night. But Sarah came to school back in 1998, and uh, so it was just a joy to have Sarah with us, and then uh, we were blessed to have Melanie come right after her, and, and Steve, and it's so good to have you guys in service. We miss you, Melanie, deeply, because not only did Melanie go to the Bible college, she also worked at the church for many years and was just such a, a big part of what God was doing here at the church, and now she serves at the church in Iowa, um, but it's so good to see you guys this morning, and now we have Laura Banger, the... the, the and uh, we're just, we're blessed uh, beyond words that, that Laura is with us and, and uh, just doing such a great job. Do you have any more daughters? Any more? Okay. Um, but uh, so they really are family. But about a year ago, um, Laura came into the office and she was, she was just obviously overwhelmed with grief. And uh, she began to tell us the story of what happened to her dad. And we literally in the office gathered around her and we prayed and then we just sent her. It's like, you need to go home and you need to be with your family and, and, and they're going to tell the rest of the story. But then as a church, we prayed. We prayed and prayed and prayed. Our prayer teams prayed. We prayed in services, uh, communion times, Sunday mornings. We prayed for Jim. And uh, so we have a miracle standing in front of us. They're going to tell you the whole story. Would you welcome Jim and Sharon Banger as they share this morning? Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Lord, you're going to give me the strength to get through this. So, Because, uh, I mean, he overwhelms me so much just for what he did to me. And then, uh, But I just need to thank the pastor, thank all you people, and uh, for your prayers. I mean, we felt your prayers so much when I was laying in the bed for months. And uh, I guess I can kind of start here. But uh, the songs they pick when I come today, I mean, I just start weeping because uh, you have no idea what the song, the the cross of Christ means to me, and uh, he literally reached down in the grave, pulled me up. It's so amazing, and uh, I, I hope I can just make you feel what my heart feels just a little bit for what God's done for me. So, uh, <sighs> I'm gonna let my wife take it. I'm sorry. I gotta. Well, we had a great Thanksgiving. All our kids were home, and. We had commented that Sunday saying, it's the best Thanksgiving we've ever had, best time. All five of our kids and their families were with us. And so we go to work the next day, and about his second load, he, grain, he runs a semi and hauls for local elevators to different places. And uh, his second load, he got dizzy. If you feel you can... Yeah, the day started out real good. I felt good. Then, as, like you said, I got dizzy. I, I said, oh, I better go home. I go home and lay down, and it uh, just keeps getting worse and worse. I start throwing up. I go into dry heaves. My heart goes into AFib. And, I mean, I'm laying there for hours. And she don't get home until like uh, five, uh, five, five, six hours after it actually started. And I didn't tell her right away. I just said I'd been throwing up, so she just kind of scatters out of there and said, I'm going to go in the kitchen, stay away from me, and... Uh, then I, about an hour later, I say, oh, my heart's an AFib. She's going, oh, man, this is not good. So 
we decide, she decides, I need to go to the hospital. So we get down to ER. We get there, and I, I said, I can't even get out of the car. I'm just <clears throat> weak. I'm whatever. And I said, get a wheelchair. She rolls me in. I remember getting in the door, and the, one of the doctors there, one of the nurses there says, are you, all your patients critical? And he said, no. Boom, they roll me right back in a room. And uh, I remember a few people coming, and they asked me some questions, and uh, after that, I was pretty well out for a long time. So I'll let her take over and kind of tell the story. Well, when we got there, this nurse, there was a guy ahead of us, and that's who she asked, are, are you critical? And he goes, no. Well, I'm taking him in first. And so they take you into a triage room, and they hook him up to monitors and everything, take blood pressure and everything. But when they hooked him up to the heart monitor, his heart rate was already at 255 beats a minute. And so the nurse goes to listen with their stethoscope, and I watch it go to 268 beats a minute. And she runs out of the room. Another nurse comes in, and same thing. And then he's continuing to vomit severely. And so they said, we got to get you back into an ER room. They got him in there. The room was full of doctors. And I had to go move the car, which is the worst thing because I can't park out front, I guess. So anyway, I come back in. His heart rate is already dropping. And they said, well, yeah, he's an AFib. And we've given him meds. It seems to be working. And so I called the two kids that weren't working, Melanie and our son Kyle, and told them that dad's here, and so they come out to see us, and our pastor was there and prayed, and we were, he was setting up joking, this is 9.30 at night, he's joking around, you know, everything's going well, and so they decide, well, go home, we'll, we'll see in the morning, you know, because he's had AFib one other time, and they just gave him medicine, took care of it, we went home in a couple days, so I thought, no big deal. So we get up to, Jim and I get up to ICU, and he's doing worse. He's on oxygen, because he's ha starting to have shortness of breath, but that's getting worse. So instead of the cannulus in your nose, they put a mask on him. And then he, his oxygen level still was going down. It wasn't going up like it should, it was going down. So they put what's called a BPAP, which forces air in, and it still wasn't working. His body was shutting down. Right in front of my eyes, as the night went on, he went into a four-organ failure. His heart, his lungs, his liver, his kidneys. And so the, in the morning, you know, cardiac doctor was coming in trying to figure out what to do and everything, and so they took him into a cath lab where they do these heart procedures, go through the groin and check everything out. They put a pump to help his heart beat better. And he comes out and he says he has no blockage or anything, but he's too sick. You need to send him to Des Moines, which is an hour and a half from Fort Dodge. We live almost an hour from Fort Dodge. So we agreed. He got on my flight. And the nurse tells him, as they're wheeling him to the helicopter. One thing I remember said, he will not make Des Moines. That's the exact words he told me, and that's about all I remember about getting on the helicopter. And then we make the flight. So anyway, he gets on there, and the kids run to get clothes and everything. Kyle flies me to Des Moines. Well, 
drives the car with me in it to Des Moines. <laughs> and, you know, we get there, they're working on him and everything, and he's alive. But what we didn't know that he really wasn't to make Des Moines. And then once he made it there, he wasn't to make through everything they needed to do to him. He was not to make it. They, they you know, we find out hindsight how really bad it was. So here it is, day one, or day two now. He's in Des Moines. He's hooked up to every life support system there is. There's nothing else they can give him to keep him alive. But we didn't care he was alive. We didn't care what he had to go through. He was alive. God kept him alive. So now we get there. It's day three. And already his heart doesn't like a pump they put in it to help move the blood. And so they said, we got to remove it. It's causing issues. So within 24 hours, one of life support was pulled away. Praise God. We were going, wonderful, his heart's doing good. It's, you know, praise God, praise God, praise God. And so then we keep going, and every day there was a little sign of him getting better. So day three, things were going good. Day five, he had another life support taken off. So basically now, he doesn't have really life support keeping him alive. He has... He's ventilated, so he's got a tube down his throat. He's got IVs, but he has nothing breathe or uh, keeping his heart going. He's doing that himself. So we're, we're praising God just like you would not believe because he's getting better. He's getting better. But that night he had an episode where his blood pressure dropped. His heart rate went sky high, and his breathing Normal, you want to be in like 95 and above percent oxygen. He was in the 80s. And they couldn't figure out what's going on. You know, the, he was doing so good. What's, what's going on? We, we can't figure this out. Day six now, another episode. Day seven, another episode. And this one, his blood pressure went to just a straight 35. Not 110 over 70, straight 35. That, I know, was one night he met Jesus. So during the night, they paralyzed him because he was fighting being intubated in. And they decided since he was paralyzed, it would be a good time. Let's do a CAT scan from the top of his head to his toes. Let's see if there's something causing this. And they found something. They found a mass on his right adrenal gland. And his, he was in four-organ failure is what it was called. So his heart wasn't working, his lung wasn't working, his liver and his kidneys weren't working. Well, his heart was kind of working, his lungs still had needed help. But to do a special test to see what kind of mass this was, he needed to produce some urine. He wasn't producing any. His kidneys were not working. But... The doctor said, we've got to have so much urine to send off for this test. All of a sudden, the exact amount they needed came out of his body for the test. Another miracle. I mean, daily, we were seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. 
We didn't see the big picture of him getting better. We were just seeing the little steps it took for him to be here right now. Now, after this scan, they found the mass, and they did the test, and it was positive. It's called pheochromocytoma, and what it does is it sends a lot of adrenaline up. So you know what adrenaline is if you're angry or whatever. It, it's that little hormone that, you know, keeps you going. Well, his has been going super high, super fast for a very long time. They said that he was running seven marathons a month. That is what his heart had been doing, running seven marathons a month. He couldn't feel the AFib that was going on in his body till the night he, that day he got sick. But to go through this whole procedure of removing this mass, it normally takes six to eight months to prepare your body to go through the surgery. Well, our doctor who was going to do the surgery was leaving on December 20th. He scheduled the surgery for December 18th. And this was December 8th. We're up to December 8th. And it's day 12 of being there. And he had to have six pills that were very rare to find. They were made back in the 40s, very commonly made, very cheaply made, but now with new pharmaceutical stuffs, they don't use them anymore. So now they have become super expensive and we had to find six pills. They were found 10 miles away in a Hy-Vee grocery store pharmacy. Another miracle. And those were the exact pills he needed. So once we started that we knew what the mass was, the doctor started doing certain things to keep him going. To keep, you know, certain medicines would work, certain ones would create these episodes. But they still continued. We watched day after day after day. He may have one or two good days where he didn't have an episode of, you know, his heart going sky high, his blood pressure dropping, and his oxygen low. I mean, this was something... We're just going, how, how, you know, we walked in, we said, we're not going to look at the monitors anymore. We knew what they meant, but we weren't going to look at them anymore because we were too afraid to see what we would see because it was too scary. So here we had a guy that was almost dead. He gets off life support. We think he's doing good, and then wham, another sock in the gut. But you know what? God was there. God was there. Your prayers made a huge difference to keeping him alive and keeping us going. Because it wasn't just me there. My, our children were with us. They never left me alone through all of this. I was never left alone. So we come to day 20. It's the Saturday before surgery. Nice. Our doctor that was doing the surgery is leaving the 20th first. He goes back to Croatia. That's where he's from. And so the surgery team comes in and he goes, they go, there's no way we're doing surgery Monday. He's too sick. There's no way we can do it. He has had pneumonia this whole time. They would go in with the tube down his, being intubated, go down, and they would suction the pneumonia out to try and help him breathe to 
create, so you have enough oxygen to be alive. They also warned us that he'd been with oxygen, sufficient oxygen enough that there could probably be brain damage. He may not know us. He could be a vegetable. They couldn't tell us the damage that the lack of oxygen that he had gone through, well, you know, what would happen when and if he woke up. We were not given a lot of hope. But that night, that Saturday night, things changed. His oxygen, need of oxygen and the amount of pressure of oxygen they were giving him dropped dramatically. It was exactly where the doctor wanted it. All day Saturday, he was at 100% oxygen, and the peeps, when I say peeps, it's a pressure put in, we're at 15. By Sunday morning, he was at 55% oxygen and 10 peeps. He remained totally 100% stable all day Sunday. That hadn't happened. There was not a hiccup or bump in any of his vitals. That was God. Our surgeon walks in that morning and comes in. This is now the day of surgery, day 22 of, being in, of him being sick. And he goes, I'm doing the surgery. If I don't, he will die. And those are his words. So he took my husband to surgery, and he had pneumonia yet. Not many doctors will take a, ma a patient into surgery and a serious surgery as this was, with pneumonia. But he did. But his surgery went, at, they call it a textbook surgery. It went so perfect. Things that needed to happen happened, and things that did, they didn't want to happen did not happen. That was God. One time they called the pulmonary doctor down in surgery because his oxygen started to drop, they were going to bronch him where they sucked stuff out. And he looked down in there and there was nothing there. He adjusted, Jim had a trach then, adjusted the trach, everything jumped up. God, but God. God was there. So he came through the surgery amazingly. Just, I mean, we were told it's going to be touch and go for so many hours and then we got to go a day and then two days before we would know. When we visited with the surgeon after the surgery, he said he's 98% there already. That was God. That was your prayers. So two, three days later, on the 24th, a Wednesday, Jim woke up. He hadn't been able to wake up because he, he, he would get so agitated, he woke up. And the best thing is, he knew who I was when I walked in, and he knew what, who Laura was when she walked in. There was nothing wrong with his mind. His brain was fine. The only thing wrong was he was so weak. He couldn't lift a cover off his bed. He couldn't lift his arm up. He could barely move his fingers and barely move his toes. But he could follow commands. So Laura and I started right away working with the hands and arms so he could really start moving them. And then as, since surgery, he um, got off the 
ventilator so much faster than they could believe. So when you have a trach, the hose goes from the ventilator right down into his throat. They were able to put like a, a nose mask, they call it capped, where they put it over there. And so he was just having like normal air over coming in. And that was within three days of coming out of surgery and going into surgery with pneumonia. He was still treated for pneumonia, but it was so much better. But God stepped in and healed him. So on day 38 of being sick, I walk in the room and Jim goes, notice anything? I'm going, what am I to notice? He goes, you don't notice? I don't have an IV. I don't have a feeding tube. I don't have nothing on me keeping me alive. I'm doing it myself. That is God. We found out that Jim's mass was extremely rare. After, you know how you, anytime you have something removed, they got to go through pathology and everything. His mass was so rare as 0.8 out of a million. They really didn't know much about it. He was, we were hooked up with a, a cancer doctor. And anyway, he goes, we don't know how to treat it. We've never seen this. So he called all over the country, other cancer doctors, how should we treat us? What do you think? It was so rare. But it should have killed him. He should have been dead because we were given no hope. He wasn't to make it to Des Moines. He wasn't to get this far. But God. So on day 45, December 29th, oh, excuse me, day 31, we moved out of intensive care to the seventh floor to recover. He spent 32 days in intensive care. And on day 45, January 11th, he moved down to rehab for two weeks. He still couldn't walk, couldn't set up. They didn't work with him on seventh floor except what the kids and I would do. He, he just had no muscle, no muscle control. So you want to talk? Kind of. I mean, when I actually woke up, fear grabbed you because I, I could not move. I mean, I could move my hands a little. I could move my feet. I couldn't sit up. I couldn't roll over. I, you can't eat. You can't do nothing. And so, I mean, uh, I, I just cried out to God. God, you got to help me get me out of this. And uh, God's so faithful. He did. I mean, he just kept working with me. He gave me strength. My my biggest thing is my family, my amazing wife, my family, they, all they did for me, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, uh, and, and God has revealed so much to me, and what I need, I mean, what I've gotten out of this is uh, how good God is. I mean, uh, and it's there for everybody. If you need something, ask. He's there with his arms wide open waiting for us. And that's what we need, just run to him. We don't run away. You never run away from God. You run towards him. And uh, he's waiting for you, you know. And we're no special people. 
trusts us. You know, when, when uh, the Bible says he can find, can, how is it, with a wise, and we're, we're the common people that should not, it should not have happened. It should have been to someone who, who is really, you know, knowledgeable of the Bible and all this and that. No. We just had a relationship with our Lord and Savior. That's the biggest thing. This mass was to kill him, but God took care of it. I mean, we have so many little miracles every day. And we get so caught up in this world, we don't see them. But, I mean, we need to slow down, focus on God, and to say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I mean, uh, you got to direct me because I don't know. You know, so uh, I had so much to share. My mind's just blank. I'm just standing up here, but I'm sorry. But uh, all I can say is God is so good. You know, and uh, he's there for all of us. So we just need to take advantage of that. And uh, one thing that really laid my heart we're the only light left in this world because, I mean, our country's going, I mean, everybody's, they gave up in the Bible years ago, but we need, we're the only light they're going to see. We need to get out and talk to people and tell, tell the good news of what's happening to me or what happened to you. And, I mean, everybody's got a story. You all got a story about what God's done for you. You need to tell somebody that's going to change their heart. So these churches are standing room only. That's what it should be because that's all that's left. I mean, we lose the church, there won't be a country left. I'm sorry. You know, so we got to do our job. So. Well, that's when Jim was in the hospital. You hear of a lot of people will have healing scriptures playing or whatever, and I wanted music. So our son brought his old iPhone, and we put the K-Love app on it, and we had the K-Love radio running 24-7 on him. And there were two songs that would come up in such key times we can't explain. When his heart wasn't working right, Danny Glokey's song, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again, would, all, would just come out. Why? It's what we needed. And all sons and daughters have a song, Great Are You, Lord. But in there it says, it's your breath in our lungs. When his, his lungs weren't breathing, when he was not getting the oxygen he needed, that song would come on at such a timely fashion. What we listen to makes a difference. These Christian songs nowadays are made from the word of God. We can stand and sing and praise him. And that was what we did as a family. We praised God for every little thing. It wasn't the big thing that we got so overjoyed about it was every little step. That first day when they took that impella pump out, hallelujah, oh, man, he's getting better. Yeah. We didn't look that he still was on life support yet. He had a machine that would run from his groin to his neck that would oxygenate his blood four liters a minute. That didn't matter. One thing came out. It was one step at a time. But there are some scriptures that really helped us through it. One is Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. When we went through this, we had no vision of what was to come. 
We took a day at a time. Sometimes it was a minute at a time. Mark 10, 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And he's living proof of that. Isaiah 40, 31. And this is one we stood on because we waited on the Lord. For those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He couldn't stand. He couldn't sit. But look at him now. He can walk without fainting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The, the last one I want to share with you is Mark five nineteen. However, Jesus not, did not permit him. This is the man that was at the cave that was filled with demons that Jesus sent to the pigs that ran over the hill. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. So this is a, a bit of our miracle story. Laura has done amazing um, PowerPoint or whatever you call it, video of the pictures of our story. But God is so good, and it's, he's not a respecter person. This is for each and every one of you. And God bless you and thank you for all your prayers. I was blind, now I'm seeing in color. I was dead, now I'm living forever. I had failed, but you were my redeemer. I've been blessed beyond all measure. I was lost, now I'm found by the Father. I've been changed from a I've been given a hope and a future. I've been blessed beyond all measure. I am counting every blessing, counting every blessing, letting go and trusting when I cannot see. I am counting every blessing, counting every blessing, surely every season. Oh, oh, oh.
for your goodness. I will ever praise you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, God. Mm. Wow. That wasn't for you. That was for... But let's say thank you to them, too. Thank you. Wow. God is faithful. We had a, a number of nurses uh, here last night, and I know we have a number of nurses that look around today here in our congregation, and they were telling me after the, the service that Jim shouldn't even be here. Before organ shutdown, those are pretty important organs too, right? Your heart, liver, kidneys, what else? Uh, lungs. Just We have a faithful God who is no respecter of persons. And he is our sustainer. We'll go back to that verse in Ruth, in Ruth 4.15, where it says, He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. He will renew you day by day. He will sustain you from now until you meet him face to face, whether he returns or we go to be with him. He will sustain you. And I want us to hold on to that. And I also want us to realize, too, that uh, the journey that we heard about in just a few minutes was a 60-plus uh, day journey. It wasn't overnight. When we hear from Don Piper, that'll be a multiple-year journey. When Joe shared a few weeks ago, that was years and years of prayer. So whatever you're going through, a lot of times we're like, we want to get to the big miracle. You know, we want to see Jim up here, and he's praising God, and, and he didn't even tell you about how he, you know, Jesus was right there with him in the midst of, of everything that he was going through. And, uh, and he'll tell you that when you're talking to somebody and you think they're not there, they're actually listening. <laughs> so talk in faith when you talk to people. But um, yeah, just when you, you're looking for the big miracle, don't miss all the little miracles every day. Because I want to tell you, God is with you and he's at work every day on the good days and the bad days. And they had highs and they had lows. They had good reports, they had bad reports, but they knew who their God was and that God is faithful. And so we look for the big miracle, but don't miss all the little miracles along the way because God's with you and he's at work and he's faithful. And I love the verse they shared, call on him. I believe God has so much more for us. 
We need to call on him. We need to believe in him. We need to speak that faith to him. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me today as we, as we pray and, and we just celebrate what God has done. Lord, we, we value this moment of prayer because we see what comes of our prayer. Lord, we prayed for Jim, and, and now he stands before us, healed and whole, Lord, strong and mighty in you. And Lord, I thank you for the testimony that we have. God, I thank you as we remembered what you did on the cross for us, Lord, that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, and we're grateful for the blood that you shed, but also the word of our testimony. Lord, we leave here so encouraged today because there's power in the blood. There's power in your name. And so, Lord, I pray today that uh, whatever we are praying for, whether it's something we've been praying for for months or for years or for decades, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. We declare your promises are true both now and forever. And God, we won't give up. We will persevere. We will pray. And God, give us eyes to see the little miracles that you do every single day. Help us not to give up in our prayer. God, help us to call on you every single day, on the good days and the bad days. May we know that you are with us and at work inside of us. And again, God, just do your good and perfect will. Lord, as Jim said, let us be a bright light with our testimony to this world. God, thank you for allowing the bangers to come today to share the story of your goodness. And so, Lord, today... We celebrate with them, and we celebrate you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.